0: The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome welcome, to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be, brave, be brave and be fearless, let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus podcast.
1: Today's guest is Jamin Brazil. He is the CEO of the Happy Market Research Agency, and he's also a fellow podcaster in the industry with his own podcast called Happy Market Research. Welcome, Jamin.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Seema. I am thrilled to be on this podcast, and I've listened, of course, to your episodes. This is the first podcast I've actually, or I'm sorry, this is the second podcast I've actually ever been on outside of my own. So oh, that's so honor.
1: cool. Oh, I'm I'm actually honored. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much for inviting me.
1: It's interesting because as you know, as, as a host, you get to control the conversation and steer it, navigate. And what I learned when I was on your podcast was it's a totally different experience. You're kind of, you're open. It's just a different dynamic. So hopefully you'll enjoy it as well.
2: I think I will. <laughs> I already am.
1: So I have to ask you, Jamin. Happy Market Research. Tell us what the company does, and then also tell us why you named it Happy Market Research.
2: I have had this life mantra of sometimes you've got to laugh, and I've injected smiles. This sounds a little bit non-organic or or honest, but I've just intentionally injected smiles and laughter into my life during difficult times. It just so happens that there was this study that was done in, in Portland, Oregon, amongst clinically depressed individuals. Half was treated with medication. The other half was treated with a 30 minute forced smiling exercise, which is actually almost impossible to do, by the way.
1: To and smile for that long?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It really, really it really, it, yeah, no, it, Interesting. It really, just try it sometime, you know, turn on Netflix yeah. and just start smiling. Okay. I, ideally if it's a, you know, it's holiday time, so I'm going to have to watch Elf again. So something like that is <laughs> right. Some kind of fodder is this. Yes. In on that front, but it's, it's super hard. Like your face will literally start hurting. Hmm. As the joke goes, it's killing me. And <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm not doing podcasts. Like anyway, the outcome of the study was that people that, that did the smiling, they actually had an improvement in their mindset over those that were treated with medication. So the application of humor in our lives, and, and I believe smiling actually has enables us, it's actually a superpower. I believe that we all can cultivate that will enable us to cope better during the low times of life that of course we all go through as business owners. And so the hallmark for me in starting Happy Market Research was exactly that, to create an emotional connection to um, uh, to the brand. And, at the, and, and the other side of it is playfulness, right? So yeah. it's, about, it's about, let's have fun with this. You know, yeah. market research and a lot of, I've been doing this for a long time, right? Yes. 22, 23 years. And market research has not traditionally been a super happy industry, especially in the old days of Patty and in ML Intercepts. So I just, I feel like the power is let's change and then infuse joy into what we're doing for more positive outcomes.
1: I love it. I really do. And, and how can you not say happy market research without a smile on your face? I know,
2: right? It's, it's it's literally impossible.
1: Yeah, no, that's really cool. And tell us what your company does.
2: So, you know, I, I exited Focus Vision in September of 2017. Okay. Not a clue uh, as to what I was going to wind up doing. You know, CEO of a large technology-based organization in market research. You know, it's a per- pretty narrow set of things that I'm qualified to do, ironically. And then, of course, you've got the normal the sort of legal parameters that... Mm-hmm set limiters. And so I thought, well, okay, how can I maintain relevancy and connection to the industry I love? So that caused me to go through about a six-month journey of assessing the state of market research through different conversations that I was having. And by talking to both agencies and brands, people like Merrill Dubrow and and many people that have been on my podcast that are on the brand side, I started realizing that there was this fundamental divide between what market researchers were offering and what the brands really wanted so you know to that end I felt like gosh I'm sitting I could be Switzerland for a while I don't right. have anything to sell and I could facilitate a conversation between these two organizations these two divisions if you will um, and see if there could be some value to both sides and as a as a byproduct of it and this is I think speaking more to the power of podcasting than my, you know, ability to navigate the conversation successfully, is, is that podcasts as a platform, it creates a intimacy with the listeners. It's very unique. It's different than like consuming it on you consuming content on YouTube. It's different than reading a blog post, listening to a speech, the the power of podcasts, you know, that the intimacy is, is happening, because a lot of the consumption is usually happening while you're doing something else and something that you don't necessarily love or mowing the lawn or right. whatever. And so it's, it's as if you're partnering with that individual psychologically and helping them through that drudgery. And then also, of course, adding a tremendous amount of value. Sure. So there's literally, since I've been doing this, I've had over 10 brands reach out to me unaided and say, and these are ones that haven't been on the podcast. Well, some of them have now. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for the podcast. I just signed this new agency because I really connected with you know, that CEO Yeah. Or, or what have you. And, and I think that, you know, that, that really speaks to the, the power of the medium and also speaks to the opportunity in front of market researchers to take advantage of podcasts as a way to get their message out.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that it's something so subtle but so powerful in terms of how people consume a podcast because it is intimate, and you know most of the time you're listening to to it with earphones on, and that that experience as well I think adds to the level of intimacy as you consume the content.
2: Yeah, totally. And then you know, of course, kind of rounding out where I am right now in this in this going through this process, I recognized that there was this white space or opportunity to help market research do a better job of marketing and branding itself. You know, after I sold Decipher, I became the CMO of Focus Vision for about a year. And then, of course, transitioned into the CEO role Right. Uh, directly after. That process for me was really enlightening because it's a different skill set needed to be a CMO of a company that large versus the CEO, right? They're, right. Just, they're just different. So it was a lot of learning and catching up. And because it was a larger organization, I was able to interact with big agencies, you know, had a good size budget. I I failed a lot in full transparency (laughs) in in that role because, you know, I just wasn't, it wasn't what I did. I'm not, I hired Krista Luck for a reason or I bought Krista Luck's company for a reason,
1: right? Right, right.
2: Um, That was, she's really good at that skill. Sure. So it, It allowed me to, in a lot of ways, shape what I see as a CEO of coming out of a successful marketing initiative. And that simply is return on investment, which is something that marketing usually struggles with. So uh, what what I've subsequently done with my three staff members is create a marketing services wing of Happy Market Research. And now we have four active customers who uh, are using us at various levels to help them navigate and ultimately succeed in the marketplace through lead generation and branding.
1: That's fantastic. So I wanted to follow up, you know, failure is such a strong word and, and, and I do, you, know, you read all these quotes all the time, If if you're not, if you're not scared.
0: By doing something,
1: then you're not pushing yourself hard enough. And failure is always a byproduct of, of success. Can you share some of your failures that you that you probably have learned the most from?
2: So, this is a multi episode. All right, how
1: about one, Jamin? So,
2: yeah, so I, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think about the right lens. I've had lots of failures as a CEO, I've had lots okay. of failures as a CMO, and I've had lots of failures as at a personal level, yeah. and, you know, and then also as, a, as an entrepreneur. Sure. I'll I would I'll pick on one, and then we can kind of uh, reverse engineer it. The yeah. Focus Vision CEO role is one where I, I certainly had some success, but I also had some failure in that. It was, a, it was a big step. I can't disclose the exact revenue size, but Focus Vision, when they acquired my company, Decipher, effectively doubled. Right. That, that doubling... That's a, big, mm-hmm. that's a big difference, not because of the revenue, but because of the complexity of the business. Mm-hmm. And so stepping, you know, when Eric Grogochet exited the business and then, you know, I entered in as the CEO, you know, I underestimated the overall complexity with putting together, in this case, we had, uh, it was literally six disparate companies operationally, operating independently and trying to then, you know, put those together so that you had a strong, cohesive product experience at Mm -hmm. the customer level, right? So that underestimating then led to a tremendous amount of frustration uh, across the board from staff to my board. Right. And became, you know, ultimately a a point of major contention. Mm -hmm. We did navigate through that, as I would say is the is the good news, but it probably cost us almost a year just trying to put the technologies together and and culturally aligning the companies and and all that sort of thing and it was a I'd say that that was a that was a failure on my part of underestimating the amount of attention that that needed and so i I wound up letting it languish for a little bit and focused on other things like trying to drive top line revenue right and right and and not deal with the actual guts of the company like I should have so my my learning there is I should have spent in that role I should have literally spent the first 12 months 100% dedicated towards the integration of culture beyond just the you know the bullshit poster thing right, right. and operational efficiency though that would have been a much better use of my time than and, and a better outcome than trying to focus on driving you know another fifteen percent growth out of the company
1: Thank you for sharing that I, you know I know it's uh, it's painful but it's it's you know in, in some ways if we can share our experiences with others and help others not make the same mistake it's always helpful as well
2: you know and the, another point of failure since we're talking about the subject sure. isn't it ironic that we started with happy
1: yeah right <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: so the other the other Major failure that is worth talking about is focus. Okay. One of our board members that I was very fortunate to help recruit and learn from was Wesley Chan, an early stage Google guy. He has a storied career. He's probably one of the... Anyway, he's got a storied career inside of the Silicon Valley. He actually started and was a general partner of Google Ventures. He started Google Voice, Google China. And he was instrumental in the acquisition of YouTube, which was a, one of the largest acquisitions at that point in time. But what was interesting about the YouTube acquisition is he, right after it was over with, there was something, in a, something like 12 or some odd, a lot of business lines that were happening on that video platform. And what, what he did was he said, listen, guys, we've got too many, we've got too many things that we're paying attention to we're going to just have to pick one
1: which is which so hard be, to do
2: right because right. immediately you're you're saying okay well i'm, I'm going to not just ignore but i'm going to like i'm going to cut off in some right. cases these other revenue streams yeah and so they they decided to focus on a single KPI which was number of videos uploaded mm-hmm. by by doing that they you know, it created such focus for R&D that they became the easiest platform or content creators to be able to create and then publish and distribute their content, which of course, then you know it's the tail that wags the dog, right? That's right. It, yeah, it drives all the other positive outcomes with now whatever it is, some obscene statistic like is it a third or a half or some big number of the internet is now going through YouTube, right? So, the you know, the you know, when I was, when I was talking to him about Focus Vision and the, before he had signed up to be a, a board, I talked to him about our I think at that point we had eight different business lines. And how we were launching specific initiatives against each one, treating them in essence as different companies, mm-hmm. but underneath one specific umbrella. You know, brand.
1: Right. And
2: and he goes, That's a big problem. And I never was able to exactly reconcile that Right. With how I should, at least during my tenure at, at Focus Vision. But I would say that that was a, a great learning for me, which is, you know, if you can if you can have the discipline of focusing in on your core. Mm-hmm. then you're going to improve the probability of your overall of success dramatically versus trying to do everything, which is the trap that I think most of us fall into. It's like, okay, I've got this revenue that's sort of, you know, on the Venn diagram, this revenue opportunity sort of fits into what I do, but really it's a different thing. And, you know, by, by being dedicated and wholly focused in on your core is you wind up saying no to a lot, but then the stuff that you're saying yes to is insanely profitable and much because you're kicking the ass.
1: Right. And, and you, and you develop along the way. So you become even more specialized and, and mm-hmm. grow and evolve. Totally. Yeah. No, I think that's a trap that a lot of us get into. It's so hard to say no. Jamin, you mentioned that you took some time after leaving Focus Vision and really tried to understand what was going on in the marketplace. Tell us what you learned. You know, what were the brand's expectations versus what are we or what were we delivering to the brands?
2: In a lot of cases, what market researchers both on the technology side and on the agency side are doing is they've got a set thing that they sell or things that they sell that we sell. Right. Myself included. Right. Right. And what was happening is we would, in essence, take that, I'll call it a product, even though most of the time it's wrapped in a service and we would sell it to the brand, but the brand was saying, gosh, that's just not what I need right now. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the best examples of that in the marketplace has been trackers. Oh, yeah. We know that trackers are continually being disrupted. There's no, you know, there's no headline there. But what's interesting is where is that revenue? Where's that money going?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Because we know that corporate budgets aren't aren't shrinking that fast. Right. And if you look at where the where the money is going, where the uh, the brands are are transitioning, they're spending it on what I would consider to be more ad hoc. Related products, and this is the core reason that Qualtrics has dominated as much as they have. The $8 billion dollar valuation from SAP is unfreaking believable for right. a market research Yeah. technology company, especially in the context of a lot of their deliverables. And I don't know to what degree, but are things like Sample, which are usually considered a you know uh, pass through, right, as well as as servant-related services. But the reason, that the, the reason that they have received the traction that they have, I mean, beyond the obvious marketing, et cetera, is because what they've put together is a what I'm calling the whole product. And that is the researcher at the brand level says, okay, I need to do this, right? I need to do a concept test. And they have a ready-baked concept test solution that the researcher in the brand can then go and leverage. Plus, they have other stuff but sure. the benefit to the brand is is really threefold one is a narrow use case but that you have a lot of them so it's fast mm-hmm. right because so, everything's been systematized built around it right the, the second one is it's cost effective
1: mm-hmm.
2: much less expensive to do that both in terms of time and money than it is to try to create it again out of you know whatever templates you may have had right, right. and the third is it's actually better it's better because the outputs have already been, whether it's the reports or the dashboards or the analysis, right, all that has already been baked in because, of, because you're controlling the inputs at the beginning because you're narrow. right? right. And, and it just creates this overall speed, which is the number two thing that I've heard from at the brand level that to, to insight that then enables, you know, I'll go back to like Laurie Iventash James, head researcher at, at GoDaddy.
1: Okay.
2: In my interview in my interview with her, she said, the executive's gonna make a decision. I sure as hell better make sure that it's with data. Right. Right? So if if her point being that if it was too takes too long to get the insight, then the ship has sailed. And my opportunity to influence the outcome is gone. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Right. And so, you know, that's that I say I think is probably the number overall the number two issue that's been facing the research space is simply speed. And the, the first issue that's facing market researchers, and this is both internally, it's impacting both internal research departments inside of brands and also the market research, I'll call it the TAM or total addressable market, how much money globally is spent on right. market research related services. If you look at where, going back to the Qualtrics example, where, you know, why they got their valuation as high as they did, it was, be, it was because of customer experience, Right. Yeah, which somehow over the last ten years, market research who used to be the sage on the hill, right? We've lost control of that, mm-hmm. and we do all that research, right? I mean, it's there's nothing different. Arguably, nothing different. It's I would say fundamentally different. It's happening in that sphere than it's happening in, you know, inside of market research or could happen inside of market research. It's just it's a different line on the P and L. It's fitting inside of a different inside of a different department inside of the organization so i, I think what yeah go ahead
1: so these answers or, or these the information that's required is really getting pulled and access from different departments outside of market research
2: exactly exactly right and and so like user experience cx right customer experience right that's it's it's in one company that that I know in the Silicon Valley, and then the and the head of researcher there, I won't tell you the company, but um, I happen to be friends with, she actually trained me in the 90s on some multivariate analysis. Okay. Um, and we're still close today. She, she, they have a five to 40 ratio of market research department to mm-hmm. UX researchers. Now the UX researchers are sitting and the yeah, the UX researchers are sitting alongside wow. the products team. Yeah. And the and the, the problem there it you know is that and outside of market research the problem is that they don't know anything about traditional market research right and so but they're, yet they're doing the exact same things and so she's actually spending a lot of her energy just training those people on best practices but she has to because it's at a peer level it's not at a you know they're not they're not connected organizationally so yeah it, it's it's a it's a material problem and and i think if you kind of pull back and say all right well why are we where we are as market researchers I'm going to go back to one tweet I have and it's still, it's still public. Okay. There was a Twitter surveys. You, you've probably I seen. Think, them. I
1: think I recall this one. Go ahead. Right. Yeah, so, Twitter yeah. Surveys. Yeah.
2: so it's a five question, usually uh, ad awareness or brand awareness survey. And it's part of their, I don't know, part of their tool, ch- tool ch- uh, chest. And I can't remember the name of the brand. So I actually posted the question is after I took the survey, is this considered market research or does it fit outside of market research? And of course, you know, a market researcher jumped in on that, on that thread and said, it basically, you know, Twitter surveys aren't real research. <laughs> and, and, but that's the point is yes. we have got to change our tune because we're losing. I know. If you, just, if you just look at it at a broad, at a, from the broad strokes, you got social media is the fastest growing uh, analytics is the fastest growing division inside yeah. of market research as a, as a, category. Yeah. Which I don't even know very many market research companies that actually do that. So so the the issue that, that we've got to come to terms with is one, we have to be humble. Mm-hmm. Right. And two, we have to assert ourselves as the keepers of data that really we are more than anybody else. Right. Right. Because we understand consumer data like I mean we have a hundred years in this space.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and so my preachiness, and I apologize about this. That's all right, part, right? But it is that it's you know companies now know that that consumer data is the most important asset that they have, right? right? And without it, they will die. So now is the time for market research to reassert itself mm-hmm. as the rudder of the brand, which is part of my mantra, right? So that we can they can correctly navigate the difficulties because continuing the analogy, the C varies, right? When there's lots of different variables in that the same is
1: true for business.
2: Mm-hmm. So, and that's where I think, you know, we've just got to be operating in lockstep with the customer so that, and that means that sometimes we're adjusting you know, to their budgets and just trying to be as flexible as we flexible. can. Yeah. Yeah. In that, in that framework. But, but then also, you know, talking, being straight up with saying, Hey, listen, it, Twitter surveys, you know what you can ask five questions and get a bunch of people to give you an answer in seconds. Heck, maybe that is a real tool that I should be considering.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's really looking at it from the perspective of the customer or or the brand and thinking about what their business problem is and then figuring out what the right tool set is. I think exactly. today is about this is what I can do, and so this is what I'm gonna sell you. And it mm-hmm. doesn't come from the perspective of what problem is this client trying to figure out, and then working backwards?
2: Exactly, exactly right.
1: You know, I'm not ever hopeful, and I think there are companies that are making that shift. It's painful. The transition is painful.
2: <laughs> it is super hard. <laughs> it is super hard. And I mean, your your business is right in the middle of it as well. Yes. Right?
1: Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So, and there's nobody that's, that's hiding. Even even the technology companies aren't hiding behind it. Uh, and you can't hide. From it anymore. I mean, it's just like a the amount of, there was. I don't know if you follow follow the Research Geek on Twitter, but he had this interesting tweet a few days ago. right around Thanksgiving, and he talked about all the companies that have completely displaced our, our changed our lives and displaced entire industries that have happened in just the last, I think it was eight years,
1: right?
2: And it's a bunch of companies. And right. think, Holy crap! Yeah, my life is completely different because of these things. Like
1: completely different. Yeah.
2: And we all know that the rate of change is. Always increasing; it's never going to go the other way. So, you know, in that in that framework, it's just we just have to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to forego these, you know, those these three screening criteria because, gosh darn it, they're the way that I've always asked these questions, right? And or whatever, right? Our "quote unquote" holy holy cows are um, not to say that we're compromising the data quality, but we do have to be open minded and, and, um in this framework, and we can't take another ten years to adopt online surveys like we did. Originally, or whatever that was.
1: (laughs) It felt like ten years.
2: It was. I didn't remember. To be honest, right? Because you figure some of the first ones were in in 1996. I know that was very early, but I mean, they didn't really have penetration until 2006. So,
1: so Jim, let's switch gears. Talk to me about entrepreneurship. Clearly, I mean, obviously, you've been an entrepreneur. You you built a cipher and sold it to Focus Vision. What are what are your uh, kind of core beliefs of being an entrepreneur. what What does it take?
2: Well, I'll answer that question in, in this also in the form of a correction. So I don't believe I actually built decipher. i I had the pleasure and honor of you know co-founding that with Erwin Andreasen, who is out of Denmark, uh, Jamie Plunkett, and okay. you know who helped me co-found that company, and then you know, he joined me about two months after I'd started or three, maybe but and then Kristen Luck you know, she for us was really one of the linchpins uh, coming out of OTX, you know, acquiring her her company uh forefront, I believe it's called.
1: Okay.
2: And and that was in two thousand and six or seven. So a uh, six. So you know that that was and, and so the I'd say the key to success, there's so many of these by the way, it's hard sure. for me to put it down. But at the end of the day, I think the most important thing, the absolute most important thing singularly as team Mm -hmm. and so when i'm looking at investable opportunities i'm always assessing the ceo is he humble is he willing to learn you know does he have the depth of knowledge and how does he play how does he play with others and then this the the other part of it you know who are the people that he's surrounded himself with and are they addressing his blind spots so so that is just absolutely you you can't i think i think it's almost impossible Life is hard. Business is hard. It is hard. So many things that happen Mm -hmm. in in business, and you just need to. You need to. If you're going to be in it for ten years, I mean, you know, I'm older than you, but you've had a few years in the space, right? Right. Right. Yes. But you know, I mean, there's hard times, you know, and having that team that's around you that can support you when you're going, when collectively you are going through it, that is a that's a huge benefit uh, as opposed to trying to you know, do it yourself.
1: I love that. I, I think you're so right. It's it's basically, who do you want at the table? Not, you know, obviously for the great days, but for the darkest of days, who's that team that's going to really be there and work together to get through that storm or whatever that, that, that totally. time is.
2: Totally. And sometimes it's economic based and sometimes mm-hmm. it's personal based. Yes. So, you know, you just have to, that, both of those things happen to us.
1: Yeah. So what's next? I know that you are, I believe you're exploring an idea about hopefully being able to provide insights to small, medium-sized businesses. Is that something that you're seriously exploring? It's it's kind of a vision that you're thinking about? It
2: is something that I'm thinking about still. It's in the very early stages. I have such a passion for the SMBs yeah. that it's, they're just continually getting beaten up. There was a study that was released fairly recently from Ipsos uh, talking about how consumers value experience more than price and other things, which I think is, is really is telling of the opportunity for small businesses. One of the big problems in the small business space is that you know, they just don't, they don't understand data. Right. You know, because they're dealing with a thousand other things. Mm-hmm. They're so under-resourced. So how you can how you can crack that nut, I'm I'm not entirely sure. I recently was on my first podcast that I was on was John Dumas's entrepreneurship on fire. And you know, that gets about a million downloads a month. Mm-hmm. In that I actually talk about leveraging SurveyMonkey for doing something as simple as a net promoter score NPS wow. study and how small businesses can actually employ that systematically to keep a pulse on you know their overall organizational health. And it's free,
1: yeah,
2: and simple, right? And it teaches them some basic stuff, like you know, I'll call it just getting email addresses, <laughs> yeah, right. Just super, super simple stuff. So there's these little hacks. The the challenge, of course, is trying to get attention from that audience. I will say I was impressed with the amount of we had. I created a landing page, or my team and I created a landing page, in which in which I then explained to the small business or the person that listens, listen to the podcast, you know, the benefits and exactly a step process on how to, how to do it using that tool, that free version of their tool. And, you know, and so, in so doing it starts breaking down those as well. But I, I would say that, you know, you pay attention to those, the data, the click throughs, the sign signups, the all, all that sort of stuff, right? And it's hard to get the attention of those SMBs when you're talking about something like being a data driven organization, because they're thinking about, well, crap, I, I got to figure out how I'm going to make another 300 bucks so yeah. exactly exactly
1: yeah it's interesting I do I do agree though I mean I think that there are some simple easy solutions that SMBs can take advantage of and at least have some more data that's accessible to drive some decision making
2: yeah totally and thinking about like the preference over experience, a positive experience and how that then drives repeat behavior there's a bar that I used to frequent a lot, and the, the owner and I became friends and still friends today, and he would always tell me, Jamin, the way that you build a bar business is regulars, right? Mm-hmm. And I just thought to myself how funny that is, because I bet you there's not a business where that isn't the case, right? That's so that's true. always yes. the case.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <All> about regulars? <laughs> it's <creepy laughs> customers. That's right. Yeah,
2: give me that. You know, and anyway, so there's, there's two things that we're very excited about right now. Okay. The way that we're paying our bills here at Happy is is doing marketing services for companies in the market research space specifically. So we're very narrow in terms of where we're where we're targeting. And then, in fact, we've even said no to customers that have approached us from outside the space.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The other thing that's exciting for me is this whole area of voice. When you think about sixty percent of search mobile searches are now done through voice, and there was last year there was. Over 40 million Alexa units in the U.S., and we know that the amount is increasing this year, and we'll continue Probably to the
1: holiday season especially. Abs-
2: absolutely, I haven't seen the data yet on it, but I'm I think that they're going to be huge. But Google Home actually is increasing, <laughs> yes, uh, at a faster rate. So, in fact, Google Home is built in. I just uh, got a because of the Black Friday thing. I mm-hmm. got a new Samsung TV.
1: Oh, heck of a, heck of a deal!
2: But it has it had a um, or has a Google Home built into it.
1: Wow! Yeah. yeah.
2: So anyway, the what happens in a voice-based consumer journey is completely different than anything we've ever seen before. It's mm-hmm. it's I believe it is more disruptive than the transition from in-store to online because there's no opportunity for intercept of that consumer's brand choice.
1: That's true. That's true. So,
2: as soon as you say something like, and my favorite example is paper towels,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Alexa right. purchased paper towels. Right. Then you wind up. Nice. Oh, sorry. Alexa, stop. <laughs> here.
1: That's actually. I actually
2: <laughs> so, you, 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 Alexa, or in this case, Amazon, yeah. is the one that's making the choice of what brand they're going to ship me. That's right. And, If you look at who's purchasing and gobbling up over the last two years, generic brands, Mm -hmm. there's two big companies and we all know who they are
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and it's not brawny. Right. 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 So what is the impact to brawny from a, you know, before they owned in caps in the store and and now you type in paper towels on Amazon and you'll see Scott and whatever. Right. right? Brawny, et cetera but now there's not, there's not that, that opportunity. So I, I really believe that at the CPG level, the amount of disruption that's gonna happen over the next six years is so dramatic. And, the, and if brands don't figure out how to create an emotional connection so that they become in essence, the Kleenex of the product line yeah. with their target customer base, they're gonna be in big trouble, right? So yeah. I, don't, I don't know what that means exactly, you know, from a product perspective, but I definitely believe that it is something that we need to be thinking about as researchers Mm -hmm. and, you know, talking to our customers about.
1: Very true. And it's also an opportunity for us to collect data that way,
2: right? It is, uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, voice-based data collection is also very, very interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're able to get that data in a completely different framework because it's contextual-based, right? That's right. I can give you feedback while I'm driving through voice. I can't do that in any other way.
1: Right.
2: Right. Right. So anyway, it's, it's not here today. So don't don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't believe that voice is, you know, in 2019, voice is going to, you know, over. rush. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not, certainly not there yet.
1: Yeah. but fair, you fair know, enough. I, def,
2: I definitely feel like, like if I think about some of the timelines I've experienced in my life, I do feel like we're in the Yahoo InfoSeek, kind of early, yeah. early stages of the internet with this. And I, and I do ultimately believe that it will roll up to a few big companies and, you know, brands have the opportunity now, but if they don't put in the work now, then it's going to be too late. It'll be hard to react. Issue. Yeah.
1: yeah. Jim, thank you so much for being on the show. And obviously I'd love to have you back again in the future and do some interesting things.
2: Seema, thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you, everybody else who's and listening and supporting us at Happy Market Research. Being on Data Gurus is such an honor for me. This is one of the my go-to podcasts. Thanks. So I really appreciate it. Keep it go keep up the hard work, Seema. It's adding a lot
0: of value.
1: Thank you so much. And right back at you.
2: All right. Have a great day.
1: You too.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to.